been a couple weeks since I've been been with you here. Actually, I've I was traveling um, a couple different places, uh, but I'm glad uh, to be back, and it's always good to be with you. Um, we're we're continuing our series in First and Second Thessalonians. We're really getting close to the end, actually. Even though we just started Second Thessalonians, it's a short book. So it won't take us super long to get through this, just maybe a few more weeks. And, um, and so we're going to be in, uh, starting in verse 5 of chapter 1, but we'll actually pick it up in verse 4 just to kind of bridge these sections so that we see where the Apostle Paul goes. But just as a way of summary here, the, the, this letter was written to a church in a city called Thessalonica. Um, that church was under a lot of pressure at the time that these letters were written. Uh, the city was very hostile to Jesus. We know that from the book of Acts. The book of Acts chapter 17, I believe it is, or 16 perhaps, tells us that uh, Paul went to Thessalonica with a guy named Silas. The two of them started to work on planting a church. They saw people coming to faith in Jesus. And then there was a ton of hostility and opposition to that that led Paul and Silas to run away uh, from the city. And they ultimately left this a small um, group of Christians behind. So Paul writes this letter, 1 Thessalonians, he writes actually to check in on them, uh, brings, has Timothy bring that letter to them. And Timothy spends a little time, we think, with this church. We don't know how long he was there, but uh, at some point came back to Paul with a report and then brought back again a, a letter and on and on it goes and Timothy just got to be the the go-between probably because he was the youngest and drew the short straw and had to run back and forth um, but second Thessalonians is a letter that's basically just a simple follow-up to the first um, where these really could probably be considered one letter in a sense because it's really the same context right around the same time it's probably just a matter of a few months uh, in between these letters, maybe a year, but not, not very long. Um, and so Paul's basically writing 2 Thessalonians to clarify some things and to help this church understand what they need to understand. Um, but one of the things that's really clear about this letter is that this church was suffering. Uh, they were suffering primarily persecution, and they didn't know how to understand that. They didn't know how to deal with that in a sense of reconciling in their, in their minds and their hearts how this all plays together. And so Paul is helping them with these questions. And the reality is, is that suffering always rattles our cage, right? It, it always stirs a, something up in us. It can, it can do one of two things. It can either drive us to the Lord Jesus or it can drive us away from him. And, and so there's a real sense in which suffering uh, is a vital thing that God uses in our lives to, to show us who we are and who he is. And, and so I think that Paul is writing, at least in part, this letter to help this church understand what's happening to them and why uh, God may be allowing it to happen to them and, and ultimately point them to the hope that they have in Jesus. And so I think for us, even though the suffering we may experience is not the same as theirs, um, we're, we live in a very relatively comfortable society when it comes to our, our faith. Uh, there's lots of places in our world, even today, where this 
would not happen like it's happening here, uh, where we just come publicly. We don't worry about um, people storming in here and doing something. Uh, and so there's places in the world that is not like that. Uh, but we're, we're blessed to be able to worship the Lord in a, in a way that f- frees us from persecution. Now, we might get made fun of for being Christians. Uh, we certainly might, at, at the worst, lose a job or something like that. And those, I don't want to diminish that. Um, but the, the cr- Christians in Thessalonica were dealing with like real, serious, potential loss of life for following Jesus um, and, and uh, just incredible suffering. That said, I don't want to say that our suffering is any easier than theirs, right? It, it, it just, it is what it is. It's not helpful to compare, you know, well, they, they had it worse than us, so let's stop complaining. No, I think what we have to do is recognize that our suffering is real. It happens. It takes different forms than theirs, perhaps, but it still makes us wrestle with the same questions. Like, can God be good when I'm suffering so much? Does he love me? Does he care about my, my situation? Will justice ever be accomplished when we're wronged? These are all valid questions and ones that the Apostle Paul is going to help this church in Thessalonica understand. And ultimately, being in Scripture, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, it is for all of us as well. So I think as we look at this passage, the overall message that we need to take away is let's not be short-sighted about our suffering. Jesus has a purpose and a plan for it. That's, I think, Paul's point that he's going to make to this church. We need to understand that we're playing a long game in this life. It's not that our immediate issues are going to define everything forever. It's hard for us to do that, though, because we're human beings and we see things in pretty short-sighted ways. But Paul's going to, as he does with so many other churches in the New Testament time, remind us that there's a, there's a bigger picture here that we need, to, we need to pull back and look at. And that's where he's going to go. So let's get into the scriptures here. Let's look at verse 4 uh, to start with. I know Pastor Chris preached these, this verse last week, but I think it's helpful for at least to get us to the bridge uh, between verse 4 and 5. So I'll read verse 4 and 5 actually all together here. It says, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you, in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also are also suffering." So Paul first says, and we talked about this last Sunday, so we don't need to dive too deeply into it, but he's basically saying, listen, we, we are going around to churches and we are boasting about you. Uh, we're bragging about you Thessalonians. But he, but he says we're bragging about you for a specific reason, because it is because of their steadfastness and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions that they're enduring. So Paul's looking at this church in Thessalonica and going, look at how they are holding firm to the word of God. Look at how they are trusting Jesus, even as they are suffering, persecuting, and and being persecuted and suffering and being afflicted. 
in their church. Isn't this amazing? He's going around to all these other churches saying, look at this group of Christians, and he's sharing the stories with them. But then he says in verse 5 that this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. What is the evidence of God's righteous judgment? Well, the answer is that they are enduring in the faith the afflictions that, that they are having brought upon them. The fact that they are sticking with Jesus in the midst of terrible persecution is evidence that God is actually doing something bigger than their suffering. It is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that they may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, considered worthy of the kingdom of God. They're not inherently worthy, neither are we. They are considered worthy because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to them by faith, right? The imputed righteousness of Jesus, that we have a righteousness that is not our own, but belongs to God, given to us as we believe in Jesus. That makes us uh, worthy of the kingdom of God for which we are also suffering. And so what Paul is saying here is this, that the evidence of of God's work in the Thessalonian church and ultimately in the whole church globally and uh, throughout all the ages is the endurance of the faith that, the, that Christians in, under extreme pressure are staying close to Jesus. And that in, a, in and of itself shows us that God is doing something incredible. Because you would think the logical thing that we as human beings would do, knowing ourselves, knowing how flawed we are, knowing how fickle we are, knowing how foolish we are, that if we're put a little bit under pressure, we, we're going to just dip out, right? That's just what we will, would do if it wasn't for the Lord Jesus at work in our lives, doing something righteous in his righteous judgment to help us. So Paul here is encouraging this church. He's like a father to his children, telling them how proud he is of them. He's grateful that this church is sticking to Jesus and he's bragging about them to other churches as he goes around the world. And what he's so proud of is that they are sticking with Jesus, not because it's comfortable, but actually even when it's terrible. The people in Thessalonica are losing their livelihoods and some are even probably losing their lives for the sake of Jesus. And they're willing to do it. And so we're seeing this, commend, uh, this commendation on their lives that they are enduring in the faith. But the fact is, is that we're all called to endure in the faith. We're called to keep going. We are told in Hebrews that we are to endure the race and finish it by God's grace. Jesus himself tells us that we are called to carry our cross and follow him. Carrying a cross is not an exercise that is simple, but it's very difficult. That's the whole point, right? And that the world we live in makes us and requires us to carry our cross and follow Jesus. The Christian life is all about following Jesus for our whole lives, no matter what may come. And we do that until we see him face to face. Paul is making the point here that, that the Thessalonians are still doing this. They are walking with Jesus, even in the midst of extreme pressure and persecution. And he wants them to know how proud he is 
of them. So that's where he starts. So he starts with encouragement. That's why we've called this series Encourage One Another. It's the whole theme and, and, and the thing that just sort of under, under the surface of all these words, there's a tone of encouragement that Paul has for this church. We saw that incredibly clearly in 1 Thessalonians. The first three chapters of 1 Thessalonians are all just encouragement. And, and yet here we see it again. He's starting this letter out by telling them how much he is thankful for them, how proud he is of them, and even in the midst of their suffering. But now, just because Paul's proud of them doesn't mean that's going to help them understand all their suffering, right? How do they make sense of it? That's where Paul actually takes them next. He's going to pastorally walk them through how they can make sense of the suffering they're enduring. And that's where we pick it up in verse 6 through 9, and we'll stop at verse 9 for for kind of the second second point here. Um, He says, Since indeed God considers it just or right, to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Now, here's where Paul goes. This is very interesting. And it might take us a little bit of thinking here to see what he's doing, but I don't think it's complicated. Paul is simply telling this church that those who have done wrong to them and have harmed them, and understand, like, this is a... This is a church that's under such persecution that Paul literally had to run away for his life in the middle of the night. This is not just some, well, I get teased at work because I love Jesus kind of suffering. This is serious suffering. And and it's probably causing the church in Thessalonica to look around and go, man, we're just being picked off one by one here. We are getting killed. Um, Paul actually talks about his time in in this region, this, this region of Macedonia. And he talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And he says that he despaired of life itself because of the persecutions that he endured in this city and the region. That Paul despaired of life because of how bad it was. This is, this is a serious thing. And so there's a serious answer to this kind of suffering. And the answer is, is that God will bring justice upon those who have done harm to us. Those who have harmed us will be repaid by God. This is not something that sounds real comfortable to our modern ears, right? We don't like to think about this side of Jesus. But this is very good news, incredibly good news if you are literally being slaughtered by people who hate Jesus. Paul is doing something very strange to us, but he's reminding this church that God will deal out eternal punishment on those who hate him. 
and ultimately by extension, those who hate us because we are one with Jesus. We are his body. We are united to him. We are in Christ. And so what is done to us is done to Jesus and vice versa. This is why Jesus himself, when he calls the apostle Paul away from persecuting the church to being a part of the church and then being a missionary for the church, he literally says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul was not persecuting Jesus. Jesus had died and risen and was ascended into heaven. He was at the right hand of God. But Jesus identifies himself so closely with those who are his that if he's persecuting the Christians, he's persecuting Jesus. And so here you have Paul saying, listen, it is bad out there. I know you're suffering incredible harm. You are enduring afflictions, he says in verse four. You are suffering for the kingdom in verse five. And then he says in verse six through nine, Jesus will come back. And when he does, he will take care of all of this. And he will separate those who have hated him and he will bring eternal destruction upon them. When Jesus comes back, that's when that happens, right? That's what he says in verse seven. Over, just, let's start back in verse six. He will bring repayment with affliction, those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us when, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. When Jesus comes back on that day, all the wrongs will be made right. And I, I think this is just something we need to wrap our heads around. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, is true. We ring that bell constantly here at Springbrook Church. We love the reality that Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart because if he wasn't, we'd all be so, so much in trouble. It's true that Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart, but it's also incomplete. Jesus is love and he's justice. And thank God that he is. We, we need to recognize here that Paul is taking this church under incredible suffering and saying to them, listen, Jesus knows what's happening to you and he is going to take care of you. When he returns, all that's wrong will be made right in your life. And all the wrongs that have been done are going to be brought to justice. But notice what Paul is not saying to the Thessalonians or to us or to any church, he's not telling them to go get their swords and take care of this themselves. He's not. He's not telling them to just start fighting back against those who are harming them. He's not telling them to take vengeance out on them. He's not calling on them to be some sort of a, an avenger of blood. He's not saying any of that. He's, what he's telling them to do is entrust themselves to the one who can and will care for them ultimately. It, it's like the words of Martin Luther in the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, where Luther writes the words, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. That is, that's the reality. And so we're, we're being drawn into the doctrine of God's justice and judgment. And it is meant to be a comfort for those who suffer. I know it's hard for us to see it as comforting because we're not suffering like they are. 
But if we were being slaughtered for our faith, we would find these words to be incredibly comforting and helpful. Because what other recourse would we have? See, we cannot control what those who hate Jesus do to us, but we can place our trust in the one who is ultimately in control. We, we actually have this repeated for us all over the New Testament, and it starts with Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Let me just take you to a few passages very quickly here. Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words. This is verse 43 and 44. One more page here. He, he says, You have heard it was said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Paul reiterates these words in Romans to that church, Romans chapter 12. These, These words in verse 17 through 21. He says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Then he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then you have the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 saying something similar. Verse 20 uh, through 25 I'll start at the middle of verse 20. He says, But what? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So you're being a Christian and you're suffering for it, but you're enduring? That's good. That's a gracious thing in the sight of God. Verse 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like straying sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We see in the words of Jesus, in the words of the Apostle Paul, in the words of the Apostle Peter, all throughout Holy Scripture, that it is not on us to take vengeance out on those who do us wrong. It is on us to trust the Lord Jesus to do that for us. We need to be careful not to get our theology from a theologian named Taylor Swift, where, who t- has some amazing takedown songs, by the way. But they're, basically, if you were ever an ex-boyfriend of hers, you're, you're, you're in trouble. But 
Here's one of the things she writes. I can't even, literally can't even say the words of this, the title of the song because it's profane. But um, there's, a, there's a line in it that says, don't get sad, get even. So on the weekends, I don't dress for friends. Lately, I've been dressing for revenge. Don't do that. <laughs> T. Swift is great, but don't, don't follow her example. Follow the example of Jesus, who did not revile when reviled, who did not threaten when he was threatened, but went to the cross for us. So back in 2 Thessalonians, we see that Jesus is the one who's going to care for us even when suffering is so difficult to understand. Look at verse 10. This is the next point Paul makes. He says, When Jesus comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. Now this is, a, this is kind of in the middle of a sentence, and, and so Paul's following through in, in his thought that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to bring, bring justice on those who have done wrong to his people. But he's reminding them again that those who trust in Jesus, those who believe in Jesus, will find relief, which is mentioned in verse 7, and will ultimately marvel at Jesus when he returns, right? That's what verse 10 says. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Here's what he's telling us. He's reminding us that for, for the Christian, for those who believe in Jesus, the, the life we're living here on earth is not the end of it all. It's not. Like there is something far better ahead of us. So the suffering we're enduring is hard. It's difficult. It's painful. We don't understand it all. But when he comes on that day, he will be glorified in his saints and he will be marveled at among all who have believed. You will see Jesus and you will marvel at him. You will be amazed by him. There is nothing but good and joy ahead of us as we follow Jesus, even if this life is hard, and it is. We're told that. The Bible is actually very clear on that point. Jesus says the words, in this world you will have trouble. But then he says, take heart, you, I have overcome the world. We, we know that there is trouble in this world, and yet at the end of our lives here, whether that's the day Jesus comes back or whether that's the day we, we pass on into his presence, we will see Jesus and we will marvel at him. And back in verse 7, he tells us that we will be granted relief. That word relief can be translated as rest. Think of something super difficult that you've done that this maybe it's a physical labor or maybe it was a mental exertion or maybe there was an emotional thing that you were working through and how taxing that was on your body and then to just be able to take a break from that and rest and 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 sit right the feeling of that joy is nothing in comparison to the rest we will have in Christ the relief we will have as we are just running hard enduring this race we have this promise of the gospel and one more one more thing here, verse 11 and 12. It says, To this end, 
we also pray, we always, excuse me, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's reminding this church and he's reminding us that even in the midst of suffering and persecutions and difficulties and afflictions, our lives right now, even now, even in the midst of all of the hard things we're going through, get to reflect God's glory back at him. He closes out this section by telling this church what he's praying for them in the midst of their sufferings, in the midst of their hardships, he's praying specifically that they would stay the course. Right? That's, that's what he's reminding them of in verse 11, that God would make them worthy of his calling, which he, he has done and is continuing to do in us through Jesus. But that he would, might also fulfill every resolve Right, this resolve, this stick to it thing for good, and every work of faith by his power. That all the things that they're trying to do in this life as they're walking with Jesus would be would be strengthened by God, would be done and accomplished by him. He's praying for that, for them to stay the course by God's power, not in their own white knuckling ability because that would never get them to the finish line. It will never get you or me to the finish line to just try to white knuckle our way through hardship. It's never going to work, but we can entrust ourselves to the strength that God provides. And so then he tells them in verse 12 that as they are walking in resolve and every good work of faith by his power, he tells them that in the name of Jesus they will, that he will be glorified in them and him, them in him according to the grace of our God and Savior, God and Lord Jesus Christ. See, our suffering even now points to God's glory. We, we don't have to play the martyr all the time because here's the thing, to live as Christ and to die is gain. Right? That's... That's what the Bible tells us. And so whether we're, whether we're suffering to the point of death or whether we endure in life till we die of old age quietly in our sleep, as we all imagine we will, whatever happens, God gets the glory. And that should be how we are directing our hearts and thoughts in the midst of our suffering. I think that's something that's just we, we, again, we have to step back. When we're in the midst of something hard, it's really difficult to look at it and go, okay, how does this glorify God? Usually it takes time to work that out as, as we have the ability to kind of get a, above it. But even in the midst of suffering as Christians, we're called to stay the course, to stay resolved, to, to understand, at least intellectually, if not emotionally, that God is going to get glory from this. And that's what we should be longing for, to see him do, is to get glory from what we're enduring. And so the answer to this whole thing of suffering in this church is this. Don't be short-sighted about it. There's something much bigger happening to us as we suffer. Jesus has a plan and a purpose. 
And even when we do suffer, we know we will be vindicated at his return. And God will get all the glory. And that's, as Christians, should be the, the primary desire of the heart is for God to get the glory. So what, I don't know what you're, I know some, what some of you are enduring. I know, I don't know what everyone's enduring, but whatever it is that you're enduring, whatever it is you're suffering, know that Jesus has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a reason for it. And we may not get the answer to all of that on this side of heaven. But what we will get is God gets the glory. We get the joy in him when we get to meet him face to face. And it's the long view that can keep us in the race. All right, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you have loved us to the point of death, even death on a cross. That no matter what we are enduring, no matter what we are suffering, and we are suffering many things in this room, physical, emotional, relational, spiritual. There's so much happening in all of our lives. And God, we just want to give those things over to you, hand them to you, let you do with them what you want to do. And, and God, that you would help us um, to stay the course, endure, stay faithful to you through it all. We pray uh, that we would do that not by our strength, because we can't but that we would endure through your power, that you would enable us to do that. We pray that as we remember you as you died on the cross for our sins, as we eat and drink in remembrance of that moment, um, God, that our hearts would be drawn to the, the reality that our suffering doesn't compare to yours and you suffered so that we would be right with you. God, give us, give us grace in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.